Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for our next edition of Ohio DD Talks. Today, it is my pleasure to be joined by Ryan Weiss, who's going to be sharing uh, sharing with us his experiences as a parent with two young children with disabilities as they reintegrate into a post-COVID school life. Thank you for joining us, Brian. How are you today? I'm great, Nate. Thanks a lot. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for all you're doing. Thank you. So why don't you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family and your connection to our field and why school integration is so important to you. Okay, great. Well, like you said, my name is Brian Veith. Uh, my wife's name is Emily, and we do have two, two children, twin girls, Luna and Estella. Uh, one quick point of clarification, Luna ha has a disability. She has a Down syndrome. And they're, they're about three and a half years old. So my perspective today, um, as I reflected on what we're going to be talking about, you know, she, the girls started, but Luna, particularly at the age of three, uh, which we can talk about how she was able to get a, an early jump on school. Uh, that was January of last year, right in the middle of all this stuff. And, and uh, of course, we were nervous. Uh, you know, we were excited and nervous all at the same time. We, she didn't go to the same school as her sister, because uh, her sister was not yet eligible uh, to start. And, and so we, we, you know, all those feelings you have as parents about separation and the anxieties surrounding COVID. And Luna also has had uh, two heart, um, open heart surgeries. And we were, you know, really, really nervous about COVID. Uh, and it, of course, at that time, there was no vaccine, even had there been and like today, she's they're, they're under 12. So they're not eligible. Uh, so, you know, all those things, but we got a lot out of it. it ended up being a great school year. Uh, the, the IEP process is fresh in our mind. And we had a very collaborative, you know, uh, uh, team effort with uh, Forest Hill School District. We're in Hamilton County, Cincinnati. Uh, so we, we live in the Forest Hill School District and, and couldn't say enough good things about how they were able to really help our family and help Luna and, and kind of just ease our transition into the school world. That's excellent. And I know it's been quite some time since, since I had primary school services myself, but I know as I was growing up and finding my, my place, my family really supported me to have an active role in my IEP process. And I'm just wondering if you have some specific reflections on how, you know, how you, you might be your children to be more involved in the IAP process, yeah. but also how it may have been impacted by COVID and just some of the changes that you've seen? Well, great, great question. Um, first of all, the thing, the whole, we, we had a few false starts and delays in terms of getting uh, her evaluation scheduled and the CTR, all these different things, team, team evaluations had to be rescheduled because there was times where a teacher or two just out of protocol couldn't be a part of it. So it took longer and it kind of came down to the wire. Uh, but we trusted in the protocol. We trusted in the process. And, um, you know, Luna, her, her age right now uh, doesn't really allow her to be too much of an active participant, I guess, in the IEP process. But what I will tell you is when you talk about specifics that, that jump out, you know, Emily and I had to, uh, you know, there it was a great process, but when you get to the very end of it, for those who have been through it, you know this, and those who have not yet been through it, you know, you be 
be prepared. You get to the end for a team report and they come up with very specific goals for your child. And I remember in particular, because of COVID, uh, one of the, the physical therapists wasn't able to evaluate Luna and they had kind of a fill in, which was great. You got everybody's, you know, on the part of a team. Um, we thought that particularly her goals were, were not high enough. We thought that Luna could, was capable of more and we had to push back a little bit and say, Hey, respectfully, you didn't see, you know, you're going off of kind of secondhand information. I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but we think Luna's capable of more. Can we, can we up the goals? We don't want her to just kind of skate by. We want her to succeed and thrive. And, and that was taken with open arms because of course, everybody wants that. These educators want to see that the students thrive and succeed and uh, just like the parents do. So the whole process for us was, was uh, you know, it was collaborative, it was positive and, and you just kind of have to be, you have to understand that when people are talking about areas of weakness, that could be a potential uh, a growth area. It, you, you have to remind yourself, don't get caught up in these things. It, 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 you know, draw on the strength of, we're just going to get a little bit better each day and compare Luna to Luna. Don't compare Luna to her sister. Don't compare Luna to the other children with IEPs. Don't compare to other, you know, three and a half year olds. So that would be one of the things that I would, I would encourage anybody going through the IEP process, whether a repeat time or for the first time, you know, anytime you get down or you think, gosh, this is a struggle. You just really have to think, is my son or daughter getting better, you know, compared to his or herself? And so that, that kind of helped us. Now, the communication from, from our particular school district was awesome. Um, it was a team effort. You know, we got in there. We quickly found out that teachers were pulling together. We even had a, a, a non-special uh, education teacher's father help make a balance bar out of two two-by-fours for Luna to help with her physical therapy to walk on. When we learned of that, I mean, what incentive does that think about how cool that is it, it was somebody completely unrelated cool. to this but you know to the special education process whose father does never never met us has nothing to do with it and, and pitched in so you know just finding those little nuggets that that kind of keep you warm and fuzzy inside to get you through the times where you think this is hard and I I, I say that particularly as it relates to COVID and the anxieties that are kind of surrounding going back and it's easy to get caught up in the, in the, in the mess of it all, but it's, it's really great when you can sit back and recognize all the positives that are going on. And I can definitely relate you know, to your experiences on the importance of advocacy and the importance of setting appropriate goals and all yeah. of those things, because they, they really do make a difference long-term in terms of improving self-direction and identity and, and those advocacy skills. So it's great that you're on that right track already and identifying those relationships and identifying those areas where, you know, you want them to aim a little bit higher right. because it is valuable. And it's great too, that you have strong ancillary services with all the therapies and making sure that's very consistent. That's one of the things that I was grateful for myself as a child, to be able to build long-term resiliency. So it's great that those supports work for you. But uh, in terms of appropriate accommodations, yeah, would you say that, that COVID has impacted that part of the process? Well, um, what I would tell you is that 
as far as uh, accommodations and how COVID has or has not impacted the IEP kind of, you know, process for us, I, I haven't seen much, but, but I, my comparison is, is, doesn't exist. I'm comparing, you know, to, we started during COVID. So I don't know what it would have been like without COVID. I'll put it that way. So in fairness, my point of view is it's going to be different. Um, but maybe that's the new normal we're in. So maybe it makes it, you know, valuable point of view. Um, I, I will tell you that uh, every accommodation that needed to be made was met and it was met proactively. We were kept uh, abreast of what was going on. One that was a little bit difficult and I can understand why was early on, you know, masks were required and we, we did have to get a mask waiver for Luna. She, she, she would not wear a mask and still won't the sensitivity around it. It's just in her physically, her, just her, her physical attributes are uh, not really accommodative to masks. We tried to make them ourselves. We tried to buy special ones. It, it, it wasn't able to work. Um, but that was one small one that we, and the school was, was great about that. Um, but yeah, you know, she's very small of stature. So they had to get some different desks and chairs for her and they did. And so um, I don't know that COVID impacted that or would have impacted that, but all the accommodations that we needed were, were met. Did you have any experiences with virtual learning that were positive or negative? No, we didn't. Um, we didn't do virtual. And, uh, you know, again, the preschool age probably was a function of that. Um, I do know the school did the school district in general for the older grades had that I personally can't speak to how that would have impacted it. I, I do have, you know, 25 nieces and nephews and, and they were on virtual, but, uh, and there are, there, there's one, at least I can think of who's on an IEP and, you know, there's challenges in that. It's hard to have the same interactions, uh, the, you know, I, actually, now that I'm thinking of it, one, one thing that did, you know, we were concerned about was. I didn't realize how much young children look at your mouth when, when they're, when you're talking. And when you're, when Luna was trying to do speech therapy and the speech therapist had a mask on and you're trying to repeat to her the phonetics of a particular word, you know, that was a problem. And we didn't recognize it. It was pointed out to us that that was a problem. And so these are little things you take for granted, but the solace I have in it is the fact that, the teachers recognized it and they were able to help kind of get around that and working uh, particularly hard and to, to get around that. And she's, she's thriving. Um, so as you're figuring out social reintegration post COVID, ha have you had any experiences with your county board and early intervention services that might make that transition a little easier for you? Well, uh, good question. We had a lot of interaction with the early intervention. We, as I referenced earlier, we, we did help me grow. Um, and we had a phenomenal uh, person in our lives through help me grow. Her name is Elizabeth Bell. And to this day, she, she's been a huge blessing to us. But, but smack dab in the beginning of COVID, EI, you know, which of course goes up, help me grow goes to three. Uh, I guess in what was that, March of 2020, I mean, it was almost, an, if I'm remembering the dates correctly, it was the, maybe the week of the 16th or something, right around St. Patrick's Day, immediately stop going in your house. Well, when you're doing physical therapy and help me grow and all the different uh, therapies that are, that are kind of integrated into your life in your house, which for us was really important because I mentioned earlier that Luna had, ha has had two open heart surgeries. 
Well, to have kind of a controlled environment, you know, was important to us. So we really liked how Elizabeth would come to the house and in a comfortable environment for Luna that went virtual and is very, very hard. First of all, the physical therapy pretty much, you know, stopped. It was very hard to do that um, via holding up an iPad and the same you know, Elizabeth was there and we did it every week. She, she never stopped, which I appreciate. Um, but the integration of it into our daily lives or weekly lives, I guess, was, was a little bit more difficult, a lot more difficult on, on a virtual level. Um, you know, the attention span is very, at that age, at any age, it seems like it's getting smaller. But when you're two and a half or two, two years and nine months old or something, it, it's not long. And so to hold up an iPad and try and go through a set of, you know, exercises or routines, you know, it, it was less effective, but I will tell you this, anybody who has any questions on, you know, early intervention and, and particularly help me grow, uh, I would encourage people to use, use those services for us. It was a complete game changer. And again, Elizabeth Bell, I mean, she, she's been a blessing to us and just kind of almost a mentor to help us through the whole process and, to talk about what it's going to be like when Luna goes to school for the first time, which we experienced in January. And, and she said, Hey, every now and again, we'll even get a check-in from her. How's it going? How's it going? And just thinking of you guys. And that's awesome. So despite the challenges of the, you going virtual with that, we still very much felt the presence and very much felt the positive outcomes from it. Well, that wraps our podcast for today. I want to thank Mr. Ryan Weiss for joining us and sharing his experiences. And I want to encourage you all to share your experiences with us on social media or writing in the DD Council because your experiences drive the work that we do. Thank you so much for joining us and stay tuned for our next podcast soon. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks, Nathan, for all you're doing for the community. Okay. Thanks very much for all your hard work. No.